that with Mark Cohn. It's so lovely to see you. Thank you. It's great seeing you too. You know, I was saying earlier, this is kind of like our 25th anniversary because we met when Walking on Memphis first came out. I can't believe it's so long ago. I can't either, but it is. It is. (laughs) I have the proof. (laughs) I want to know, I want you to take me back to that moment where you said, "This this is the song that I want to put out. What inspired it? When did you know that it was your, going to be your signature song? Well, I knew when I wrote the song, I mean, I hadn't even been signed yet, so the idea that it would be a hit or, you know, become a signature song was not even in my consciousness yet. But I knew when I wrote the song that I had made a great leap as a songwriter, that it was an original, authentic-sounding piece of music, and that hopefully it would be the thing that would get me signed, along with a few others that I had written at the time, too. And it took a couple years after writing that song, but it, it was the that and True Companion and a song called Silver Thunderbird about my dad. Those songs got me signed to Atlantic Records. Nobody thought, even after I got signed, that the song would become a hit. Everybody thought, you know, if we're lucky, you'll sell 10,000 records and you'll get to make another album. But none of us were right. Um, it, it became very big and it didn't take that long. About five months after the album got released, Memphis was pretty much a hit everywhere. So were you actually in the city of Memphis when you wrote it? I wasn't there when I wrote it. I came back home to New York City where I've been living for 30 years uh, to to write the song. But I knew when I left Memphis after the, the few days I spent there and the things I did and how I felt, I knew when I left I had a song um, somewhere lurking inside me. And sure enough, when I got back home, I wrote that song within a few days. You know, I listened to it yesterday, and I still feel it so viscerally. Everything, it's just so beautiful. It's held up gorgeously. So congratulations on that. Thank you. I think, um, yeah, it feels great to hear you say that. I feel the same way about it without sounding arrogant. It's just part of why I, I want to celebrate this 25th anniversary, because I think that song, along with really all the others on the record, have, have stood up. So tell me how you found all these other songs. You go into your basement, you go into your attic. Where were, where were they? Well, they were actually in my producer and dear friend's um, basement in New Jersey. <laughs> His name is Ben Wish. And what was it doing there? Well, he, he had recorded all these songs, and they were all on digital audio tape. Little, I don't even know if anybody knows what that is anymore, but it's from a long time ago. Um, I was originally looking for the demos, the early, early demos of Walking in Memphis, True Companion, the songs from the record. And I thought, oh, that'd be a cool idea for the 25th anniversary. Let me release, self-release the demos of the songs people know. So we found those. And were they were they easy to find? Those were very relatively easy to find. It took us a couple days going through all kind. I mean, boxes of dats, right? Some from live shows, but interesting to listen to it all. Uh, we eventually found those demos. But what I didn't expect to find were about twelve to fifteen songs I had really forgotten about that I recorded maybe three to four years before I wrote Memphis. Wow! And I was still, you know, finding my songwriting voice, my singing voice. 
voice. Uh, what surprised me, other than the fact that these songs existed, was that I liked them. <laughs> and I thought, well, geez, some of those could have worked on the first record. Uh, that's too late, but let me release them now. And so that's this record, Careful What You Dream. It's called Lost Songs and Rarities, and they really are lost songs. But I think they hold up, too. So when you're listening to these songs, what sort of memories come flooding back for you? Oh, man, so many memories. Um, first of all, the main thing that comes back is how hard I worked before I got signed. I was constantly writing, constantly recording, just simple demos, but always working at my craft, trying to get a record deal, trying to be recognized as an artist. but. You know, not so much thinking about being a star, just thinking about how do I get better at this? And the only way, I knew the only way to get better was to keep doing it. So this reminded me, man, there were 20, 30 songs I didn't even remember I wrote from not that long before the record came out. Um, so that's one of the things that struck me. Um, my partnership with Ben, you know, he was there for all those early demos. Ben Wish, who I made the first record with, that was cemented in those early days. Um, you know, lots of things. Also, just what I was writing about. I was writing about things that ended up being on the first record, too. The death of my mother, the life with my father. Um, my what were those music. songs? Well, the songs on the first record that ended up on the record, uh, Ghost Train is a song about the day my mom died when I was a child. Silver Thunderbird's about my dad. It was looking good from tail to hood Great big fins and painted steel Man, it looked just like the Batmobile with my old man behind the wheel Well, you could hardly even see him in all of that chrome The man with the plan and the pocket comb But every night it carried him home And I could hear him saying Don't you give me no beauty Son, you must take my word And I looked back, I listened to these tracks also, there's plenty of songs I didn't put on the record that are on this compilation, which are about the same thing. There's like three or four songs on this compilation that have to do with my mom as well. So there were themes, motifs that kept coming up, things I kept trying to work through, right? That's what writing was about for me, and still is. So that was interesting too, to see, wow, I've been writing, I had been writing about these things for years and years. Uh, that was interesting too. That's that's a good point because I always felt your songs were stories and and that we were really seeing into your soul in many ways and have you not written about things because they were too painful or do you find that it's really a necessity it's cathartic Well I mean I always write about the things that I need to work through I don't always release them <laughs> But I have to say that said I'm I've been pretty open and uh, released most of the personal stuff I've written. Um, I, can, I really can't think of very many things I kept back because they were too personal. I think what you're going for is something that is very personal but hopefully resonates universally. So 
you want it to be personal. Because mm-hmm. I, I just chatted with Graham Nash, and his new album is all about yeah. his split. And I know, unfortunately, you just recently split. Yeah. So is, that, is there a song about those days? Yeah, I've written several songs about, you know, having a, another failed, well, I hate to say failed marriage. It actually wasn't a failed marriage. Neither of mine were. They were... Um, they were marriages that didn't last, but we all learned a lot. And I have two amazing kids with my first wife, two amazing kids with my second wife. So I don't feel any time was wasted. Um, but yes, I have written about the sadness of it all. Um, my one regret really in my life is that I'd never got to raise either any of my kids until they grew to be adults with my partner. You know, I've been a solo dad now um, twice uh, with great help from, you know, each of their mothers, but not in the same, under the same roof. So I'm writing a lot about that. What of it I'll release, I don't know yet. Okay, so we, there's nothing that we know of now about those times. No, nothing that I've released. Yeah, no, I'm still processing all of it. You know, it's new and it, my... My, my process has to do with absorbing for quite a while and then slowly but surely uh, what I'm really feeling and what I need to resolve comes out through the music. Mm-hmm. So how do you wrestle with being a dad like that? You know, I'm sure you have kids in one place, kids in another. My husband has to deal with the same thing. He's mm. got three kids. And you're a musician who's always on the road. Well, I, I mean, I schedule my tours around the needs and schedules of my kids. I'm never gone longer than 10 days, maybe two weeks, and then I'm home for a while again. Um, you know, I've learned how to do it now. I mean, I'm almost 57. I turned 57 in a week, I think. And uh, I know what I'm doing in terms of what I need to keep me healthy, what the kids need. You know, my oldest kids don't care what my schedule is. They have their own lives now. But my, my 13-year-old and my 9-year-old, um, I, I keep their schedules at the forefront of anything I do. Um, so it has to work for them when I go away. Uh, so I've learned how to fashion my tours and whatever I do around uh, their needs. Are any of them musical? My oldest son, who's 25, uh, is, is a good mus- a great musician, a drummer and a guitar player, but he's a comedy writer at Comedy Central, so he's found his own path. Fantastic. Yeah, what, does he write for a specific show? No, right now he's writing for whatever they tell him they need a promo for, or, you know, he just started there, but hopefully he will be writing on some famous shows at some point. But I'm so proud of him because he's worked really hard. And then, you know, maybe he would write the opening song for something. You never know. He's got all kinds of skills. <laughs> Do you have a book in the works? I feel like, you know, there's something like that that could be brewing. Look what I have here. The Art of Memoir by by Mary Carr. Um, Yeah, somebody just just mentioned to me they thought I should write a book. And I've toyed with the idea for a year or two. I have no idea if I have it in me, uh, the time, the interest. Um, But I know I have a story to tell. I mean, I've been telling it in my songs all along. But maybe there will come a time where I tell my story a little less obliquely than how it's done in song. Um, I don't know. What would the title of your memoir be? (laughs) Do you have any idea? I needed this like I needed a hole in my head. (laughs) I love it. That's great. That's great. I don't know. (laughs) 
How is the hole in your head actually doing these days? Luckily, it's closed up now. <laughs> no, it's still there. I mean, there's. I think if they took an X-ray of me uh, because I got shot, uh, you would see a hole in my right, right outside of my skull. It's kind of crazy. Uh, but luckily, I mean, I'm past all of that now. Physically, emotionally, it's all fine. In fact, if anything, it ended up being inspiring. And a song came from that as well, I imagine. Several songs. I mean, I made a record in 19... I got shot in 2005. I made a record in 2007 called Join the Parade. Uh, all about not only my brush with death and fate, but about Hurricane Katrina, which happened a few weeks after I got shot. So that whole album is about... Uh, two different kinds of trauma. Mm, that moment, I was also held up at gunpoint, but not mm. shot. So that, I know, but that moment never, ever, ever, ever leaves me. I yeah. don't know. I understand. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, it makes you feel a little less safe. The strange, ironic part is we're all really not that safe to begin with. It's an illusion that we walk around feeling sort of uh, immortal, but we're not. Anything can happen at any time. And in a way, in the end, I sort of felt grateful for that lesson, you know, that uh, it, it causes you, hopefully at times, to just get reacquainted with your gratitude and appreciation for the fact that I shouldn't be here, uh, but I am, and I'm making the most of it. Yeah, I've seen the people laughing all the way down to the cemeteries just to send another soul off on its way. I used to see them dance right up to the edge of it, but this time they're gonna dance back from the grave. Dance back. We're in this time now with guns, crazy, crazy, and yeah. gun control. Has that experience inspired you to get more involved? I'm slowly getting more involved. My, one of my dearest friends is Roseanne Cash, who has been very involved in a lot of things, but gr gun violence being among the top of the things Rose is involved in. And I'm starting to get more and more involved, too. I don't do it in a very public way. Um, but, yeah, I feel very strongly about it, obviously. I don't think it's an easy solution. But, clearly, the whole idea that there are people that uh, have lifelong reports about them where people are concerned about them, like the man from Orlando. There were things being written about him in second and third grade, about how unstable he was. The FBI had already met with him, and then he goes and buys assault weapons. That can't happen. It's getting to a critical mass now where, you know, the, the Congress is sitting in, and I think that's an appropriate move. I'd do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit more about your album, some of the songs that you found on there. Nowhere Fast. Yes. Tell me about that one. Nowhere Fast is a song that was one of the few I remembered because it was released as a B-side in Europe, I think, when the first record came out. Um, heavily influenced by Springsteen. I hear a lot of Bruce in that song in terms of the chord progressions and the, and the lyric. It's just a very romantic song. Sad, but romantic, I think, in the end. Um, what I inspired like it? I don't remember anymore. It's too long ago. <laughs> it's, you know, literally that song is probably 30 years old. I don't remember what inspired it. Probably my girlfriend at the time. You know, um, Going nowhere fast. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we went. 
Rolling off to school I run home every evening Like there was nothing else to do One night I looked out my window And while the moon was racing past I sat up there and wondered Here am I going? The song From the Far Away Nearby, that's one of my favorites on this album. Well, that's an example of what we were just talking about. Um, that could have made it onto the record because it is about my mother's death, her loss. But later on, I wrote a song called Ghost Train, which I thought was a little bit better and fit the record in its sequence a little more. Um, and I didn't want to put on too many songs with the same theme. So Ghost Train sort of got rid of that one, but I like that song too. One of my older brothers, it's always been one of his favorite songs of mine. And he's been telling me for years, how come you've never put Far Away Nearby on a record? Now it's there. And now he's very happy. Now he's happier. <laughs> <laughs> Did he ever tell you why it was one of his favorites? Well, he knew it was about our mom. Um, and I think he, there was just something about the lyric and the melody that resonated for him. You never know why someone's moved by a song. Um, but I'm glad he was, and I'm happy it's out. He says no matter the distance they're put in between us Whether on earth or on high I send up a prayer if you blow me some kisses From the far away nearby Do you hear things still from people personally telling you how your songs have affected them? All the time. That's the greatest part of what I do, right? I mean, I hear it when I sign CDs for people after shows. I hear it when I get stopped on the street. Somebody waiting when I got out of the interview um, who had, you know, a lovely story to tell me about her father and how our mus my music had connected them over the years. Um, it's the greatest thing you can hear as a songwriter. You want what you write to resonate. And uh, I still hear that, and it's great. Mm. Okay, what about this song, Maestro? Yeah, Maestro has an interesting <laughs> story, too. Um, it's literally about a real guy named George Zell, who most people out there may not have heard of, but he was a really famous conductor uh, on the level of Tuscanini and Bernstein, just a little less famous. He was a conductor of the Cleveland Orchestra and happened to be our next-door neighbor in Cleveland, yeah. Ohio. And my brother's, one of my older brother's rooms faced across the driveway, the Zell driveway, to Zell's music room. And if we opened the windows in summer, we could hear him practicing at the piano phrases from concertos or symphonies that he was preparing to conduct. And it was magical. Um, it was just one of those things. It was like, I didn't know anything about classical music, but there was this maestro living next to us uh, practicing. So I, I wrote this song about my memories of listening to him at night at his piano, uh, playing this beautifully dynamic, gorgeous music. And tucked in tight beneath the sheets No coughing crowd, no concert seats just the dead of night and the right of spring We're mindful, sleepy, listening 
Maybe he inspired walking in Memphis, the sort of classical moments in there, subconsciously. Well, I think, I don't know about that, although I would say generally, you know, he had a crush on my, my mother and my stepmother. So he gave us tickets, his box seats, to hear his concerts. So I was at these classical concerts maybe two to three Friday nights a month. And I think I did learn something about dynamics from those shows. My songs have a lot of uh, up and down to them. You know, it get, things get quiet, they get loud, they get quiet again. I really love that about music. And I think it's possible I picked that up from the classical music I listen to. Um, but that would be about it, because I can't read or write a note. So uh, that's no. it. True. Ever, ever, ever. like n even to this day, you never taught yourself. If you put m m sheet music for one of my songs in front of me, I would have no idea what it was. Then how do you do this? I don't know, but I mean, it's by ear. I was given uh, some little combination of gifts that I've made the most out of. But it's true for McCartney. It's true for George Gershwin. Now, I don't know about Gershwin, Irving Berlin. You know, some of the great songwriters really just did it by instinct. Um, I don't think I'm one of the great songwriters, but that's how I do it. Yes, you are. That is an amazing thing to hear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially somebody like McCartney. It's like, really? Wow. The other thing I always thought you'd be great to do is a Broadway show. Everybody's doing it now. Crosby, Stills, and Nash, we'll see. But, you know, it's coming up. Jimmy Buffett. I'm thinking about it. It's funny. You're mentioning all these things that are on, the, on a back burner, but they're on the stove. I, I was approached a couple years ago about one project that ended up not working and I've been approached about another one that I think could potentially be great. I love the writer and I love the movie that we would be taking the show from. I can't talk too much about it but knock on wood I hope I get to do it because I, I have a feeling it, it might work. Would you write original music? The idea at the moment is that I would definitely write the lyrics and maybe co-write the music with one of my collaborators. I'm not sure yet, um, but it's something I'm definitely interested in. Is it a movie that was released in the last 10 years? No, it's a bit older than that. Uh. It's a bit older. I don't want to say, I think it's about, it might be 20 years old, but it's a great movie that I think is perfect for a Broadway show. Perfect. How exciting, because I know now they're doing The Bodyguard right. as, a, as a show. It's, you know, there aren't that many original ideas, unfortunately. There aren't. It's true. And I, I, I don't have an original Broadway idea. So when somebody approached me about this, this um, project, I, I thought, you know, as contrived as this all seems now, because everybody's taking stories that everybody already knows, and there's an advantage to that, right? It's familiar already, so you're a step ahead. Um, although, you know, there have been some great musicals lately that are ori completely original. But so far right now, I'm excited about the idea of taking this one movie and seeing how far we can go with it. Wow, I'd be really, really interested to uh, pursue that with you because we produce Broadway shows. There you go. <laughs> ah, well, then maybe I'll need to talk to you about this off, what, how, what do they call that? Off, uh, off the record. Off the record. <laughs> That's your new show. So what's what's coming up for you next? You're going on this. You're on this tour. Yes. 
I'm on and off the road for most of the summer doing this uh, show that I also had the idea for once I realized I have this anniversary, 25 years of the first record. I'm doing the first record from start to finish live. Did I miss this in New York? Have yeah. you I did it twice in New York already, but it will come back. Um, I'm doing it this summer with a full band and the Blind Boys of Alabama, an amazing gospel group, opening the show with a couple of songs and then joining me for a few so we can really get the gospel sound of Memphis and a couple of other songs. Um, it's and, and it's got a visual component too. I have old home movies of my mom, my dad, um, me as a baby. There's some beautiful artistic film that go with the songs in sort of a um, kind of a off-center way, you know, doesn't everything doesn't deal exactly with what I'm singing about. But it's a beautiful show. I'm really proud of it. And it's got some dramatic content, too. It's almost like a show, a Broadway show. I think I would be crying the whole time. I have, I have looked uh, down into the audience to see tears flowing, which I like. Yeah. Very cool. So getting back to all the visuals, how did you decide what you would show? In the show itself? Yeah. Um, you know, for Walking in Memphis, I have fantastic audio of Muriel, who I sing about in that song, singing Darkness on the Delta. So that's what starts the show before the lights come up. Then I have pictures of me with Muriel at the Hollywood Cafe, so that's what's shown, along with some great imagery of Memphis. For Ghost Train, you see home movies of my mom. For Silver Thunderbird, you see my dad and his car. But all mixed in with, you know, very artistic imagery that isn't exactly from my family. It's all very, very personal and intimate. Sounds wonderful. So you're coming back to New York, you promise. I'm, I'm pretty sure this show will make it back to New York because it, it, it sold out really fast. I was really happy about that. So I have a feeling we'll be back next year probably to do it again. So much to look forward to. A memoir, mm. a possible Broadway show, more music. <laughs> I, yeah, it's a really exciting time for me. I have to say I've never felt so awake and ready to work. It feels great. Well, happy anniversary, Marcone. Thank you so much. Walking in Memphis. I'm walking with my feet ten feet off a beer. Walking in Memphis. But do I really feel the way I feel when I'm walking in Memphis? I'm walking with my feet ten feet off a beer. Walking in Memphis. But do I really Always news. Always refreshing. Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.